series. And um, we are in the second week of this series that we've titled Vision. And uh, just as a reminder, if you have your bulletins in front of you, you can get them to the front. Our vision uh, statement that we're learning is right there. And uh, I put it right here on the screen. And if you can help me uh, read it, we can read it together so that we internalize the, the words and, and, and what we're trying to accomplish as a church. Our vision is to uh, worship Jesus, build relationships, grow spiritually, serve others, and guide people to Him. Today we'll speak about worship. And uh, what we do this morning is that I would like to start with uh, sharing some, some things that probably will remind us of our childhood, our places where we grew up, or maybe just uh, remind us that we're close to lunchtime. Because one of the things that we all share in common, one of the things that we all share in common is that we all enjoy food. Right? And if you were not hungry, now you're thinking about it. And see, and food has one of the things that, that, that makes us take our mind to places. See, if you, if you ever ate at your grandmother's house, food that she made, probably the smell will bring you back there. Or, 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 maybe, or maybe you remember your mom's cooking, or maybe a place that you visit. But see, all those things, all these memories, all these tastes that have come into your mouth have make us make food some of the things that we appreciate in life. You see, uh, um, when we go to a restaurant today, we... we set our food in a, in a way that we can take a picture of and share it with the rest of the world, right? But, but some of us have a more of a sweet tooth, and, and we love desserts. How many here are sweet teeth? Okay, I see you, I see you. Maybe we have to adapt our padlock for desserts, I don't know. Um, just kidding, just kidding. Janelle is not here, so I'm saying I'm about sugar, you know. Um, so, so, so we, we like to take pictures of our food. And in fact, even, even our snacks, you know, we like to take pictures of them because we, we like people to remember or actually want people to know what we're eating. Now, the thing about food is that we will never know how it, something tastes until we try it. It can smell good but not necessarily taste so well. So the thing about food is that it, it might look good, it might smell good, but we will never know how good it tastes until we try it. See, Jesus taught this principle to this woman in the chapter 4 of John. And, and you can open your notes or go to your Bibles to, to the, the Gospel of John chapter 4. And there Jesus has an encounter with a woman. We know her because we don't know her name, we know her as the Samaritan woman. And this woman has a, a custom. Due to different realities in her life, due to certain things that happen in her life, her past, her, her social uh, distinctives, that she ended up doing the task that every woman did in the morning or in the afternoon, she did it at the worst time of the day, in the middle of the day at noon. So she goes to the well to gather water, and as she goes to the well, Jesus is there. And they begin a conversation, a conversation that apparently it was all about water. But in reality, it was about something else. Let's go to verse 7 in John chapter 4. 
A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So, so Jesus is alone with this woman. And, and there's a couple of things that we need to understand about this woman. First, she is a Samaritan woman. That means that she was a resident of the town of Good, you're awake. Samaria. Now, in Samaria, what happened was that a uh, long time ago in the Old Testament, when, when, when the people of Israel were conquered by the Assyrians, the Assyrians decided to do something nasty to the Jews, to the Israelites. You see, the Israelites understood that God had chosen them to be the the people of God. But what happened was that they began to lose perspective. They began to lose the reason and the vision that God has for, had for them. So what happened was that the Assyrians realized that for the Jews, for the Israelites, being a, 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 a true blood Israelite was a very important thing. So what they decided to do was to abuse the women in Samaria. And they became to have children that were half Assyrian and half Jews. Or half Israelites. What happened for the rest of the Israelite people was that they began to think that these Samaritans, these new breed of Samaritans, were not necessarily at the same level as they were in the racial scale. You see, when you lose the purpose and the reason and the vision that God has for you, you begin to do things that make no sense whatsoever. And see, what happened was that the, 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 the Israelites, especially the Jews, began to call this, these new Samaritans dogs. Not even people. Dogs. And Jesus decides to come to Samaria to talk not just to a Samaritan person, but also a woman. And see, you see, what happened was that in those days, women were not seen as people with worth as males. They were seen as second-class objects. You heard me well. Second-class objects. You see, when a, a woman was born in a family, first, was never going to be mentioned in the genealogy of the household. Second, were never allowed to possess property. Third, they were not allowed even to testify in court because their word, their word was not valid. See, a woman when was born was the possession of the father to serve in the chores of, of the house. And when they were married, they were traded for wealth and now they became a possession of the husband. It was horrible to be a woman in those days. Now Jesus decides to go to the well in Samaria to talk to a Samaritan woman. It was a double whammy. Now, Jesus is alone with this woman, which is even worse. The disciples were not there. But see, Jesus came to this woman because she wanted to bring back the perspective that the Israelites had lost in the past and bring it back to the vision that God had intended for his people. Now, the result that had happened with the Israelites and, and their perspective of, of uh, perfection and the race was that they caused two things. First, they called prejudice and racism. And the second one is that they caused lack of purpose in the things that they were doing. So Jesus came to return things to the original vision. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? See, even the woman is like, what are you doing? This is not what we do. 
This is not the norm. This is not coming. What are you doing? You're a Jew. Hello? Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is it that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, see, God speaks to people in a way that people can understand. This in, theology, in theological terms is called divine condescendence. And this is that the way, the instrument that God uses to speak to people in ways that people can understand. Uh, I gave you an example a while ago, uh, maybe you don't remember anymore, of God is speaking to Moses. God spoke to Moses about dead bodies in, in the camp. Remember that? And when he spoke about dead bodies in the camp, he told them to take them away, to take them out of, the, out of the camp. Because if somebody would touch any of these bodies, they would, have, they would have impurity. They would be impure until the night. See, it was a lot easier for God to tell, to tell um, Moses, you know what, Moses, when there's a carcass, when there's a, a dead body in the camp, there's bacteria, there's viruses. If you touch him, you're going to be infected and they're going to cause diseases. Because, you know, the microscopic viruses, Moses, Moses would have been like, what? <laughs> Micro, what? See, the microscope hadn't, hadn't even been invented yet. So God spoke to Moses in a way that he could understand. Again, this term is called divine condescendence. So Jesus is using this principle and is speaking to the woman in a way that she could understand. In the, in, in the language of the well. In the language of being thirsty and water. Now Jesus says, he, referring to him, would have given it to you. Now Jesus is offering to her the thing that she needs the most. At this moment, this woman is thinking about water because that's what she went to get from the well, but Jesus is talking about something else, something that she needs even more than water, something that she needs that will restore her to the reason and the purpose that God intended her to be and to experience. You see, family, let me tell you a truth right now. When we come to church to worship, we go back home with the thing that we came looking for. Now, let me say this again. If you came to church just looking to check off your list, I went to church, that's all you're taking back with you. If you came to church with, to find some gossip, guess what? You, back, you go back home with some gossip, guaranteed. But if you came to church looking for a personal experience with God, let me tell you, I guarantee you, you will have it. So see, this woman was coming to the well, but Jesus is trying to give her what she needs the most, not what she came to look for. Because see, every single one of us, every single one of us, this is a truth, everyone needs, has a need to worship. Everyone has a need to worship. You see, in every culture in history, in every culture in history, regardless of the location of where they develop their cultural uh, tradition, everyone... It's been practicing worship of some kind. You see, if you go to, 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 to the far east in Asia, you find that there's cultures with, that build temples and have idols. If you go to, to South America, you see tribes of people who still worship idols. If you go to Central America and Mexico, you find still ruins of people's temples and idols that people worship throughout the world. Because see, God installed in the heart of every individual the need to worship. 
The problem is that oftentimes we, even though we have God in front of us, we still worship other things. Let me, let me say this because the Bible tells us that when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, they came out of Egypt, they witnessed the presence of God. They witnessed miracle after miracle in Egypt. When they came out of Egypt, the first thing they asked Aaron to build was a calf of gold to worship. So even though God has been present through history, we always seem to look for things to take the place of God. But our need to worship has never disappeared. What has changed and what has been affected is that our tendency to sin always has clouded our vision of the presence of God with us. But we all have the need to worship. In verse 11, chapter 4, we continue with John chapter 4. The woman said to him, being Jesus, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with at the, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? I don't know if you see it here, but the conversation is shifting a little bit. Now it's not about only the water in the well. Now she's talking about a different kind of water. She's getting it little by little. See, water was not what she needed. Because water, she could get on her own. What she needed was somebody, something that she could look up, that she could be protected by, and that she could revere as higher than her. Up to this point, her decisions have been affected by relationships with men that abused her or her own selfish desires. So now she's realizing that she needs to change her way of thinking and that she needs to change her life in a way that now her practices, her experience should not lead her life, but her life should be led by someone who is way higher and can give her water that she cannot get on her own. Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? See, every Israelite would say our father Abraham first. But if you're a Samaritan, because Jews didn't like you, you will use Jacob. So she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. However, historically, that's inaccurate. But we'll get to that in a minute. See, our worship experience is demonstrated by the set of priorities that we live by. You see, she's saying, are you greater? Are you higher? Could you be in first place? Because what she was looking for is for the right the right number one. And, and, and you see, our situation with worship today, our problem in life today is that we have a lot of number ones. Whatever is at the top of our priorities is the thing that we worship the most. See, we live in a society today that anything can be worshipped. We live in a time of postmodernism where anybody can worship anything and it's just right. It's okay. But the reality is that this has never changed. It's always been like that. We always have chosen number ones in our lives. From the beginning of time until the end. That is the reality of humanity. So what Jesus is saying to this woman is, you know what? Your priorities need to shift. It's okay for you to come to drink this water, but there's better water that I can give you. So, so now she's looking for something higher, for a number, new number one in her life. And she's asking Jesus the question, are you greater? Are you number one? 
Because see, we're always in the constant search to find the number one. How many of you like to be number two? You see, we all like to have number one. We all, all like to be number one. And, and see, what happened is that the, the question of worship comes derived from the answer to this question. What is the number one thing in my life? It doesn't necessarily need to be a bad thing, your number one. But if it is not God, then God is not going to be number one. God is not going to be number one. Jesus responds, verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Now, Jesus is shifting to the language of water again, but he is talking about one simple thing. Priorities. Because you see, even when we come to worship, when we come to worship, oftentimes we, we want to come to a place where we feel good. A place where we are comfortable. A place that, 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 that sings and plays the music that I like. Right? But see, what happens is that when our worship is based on emotions, that worship will not last. When our worship is based just on feelings, our worship will not last. Because see, feeling good in this world does not last. See, salvation and experience with God is not based on feelings and emotions and things that happen in moments. Because God knows that it doesn't last. Our experience with God in worship it's not based on that. It's based on a personal experience. Verse 14. But, God, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water. Well enough to eternal life. You see, will become in him. What he's saying is that the experience of worship with God is a process. It's not a moment. It's a process. It's, it's a constant process. It, it's, a, it's an event of change. It's an experience that causes change. You see, um, uh, some of you are dating. Some of you were dating. And some of you, well, wish you were dating. But, uh, but uh, uh, dating is a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing of, of a progress. You see, what happens is that the first time that you go out with a person, you don't know if that person is going to be the one. You don't know. And if you already know that it's not going to be the one, you're wasting your time on the first date. That's pastoral wisdom right there. Now, what happens when we date and we go out with, with that person on that first date, a process is about to begin. And the process begins with simple things like knowing facts about that other person. What do you like to do? What do you like to eat? What do you do? Do you work? Do you study? Do you do both? What sports do you like? What teams do you follow? Are you with me? What church do you go to? Are you post-lapsarian or pre-lapsarian? No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but uh, you, you ask all kinds of things, all kinds of things, because the process begins with basic information about the other person. That is how relationships begin. The more information that you acquire, now the experience moves into acquiring experiences together. Are you with me? And some of you are so confused, like, really? That's how it happens? Uh, 
Yeah, because see, the more experiences that you, that, you, that, that, that you live together, the more you get to know each other. When you know things about a person, all you know it's information about a person. But when you share experiences, you get to know the person. Are you with me? What Jesus is saying, you see what happens is that you know a lot about God, but you don't really know him because you haven't spent, spent time with him. You haven't had an experience. And what Jesus is saying, our experience of worship that God wants us to, 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 to live and the experience that I'm willing to give you, this living water, it's about an experience that would change your life little by little because you're spending time with him little by little. You see... Permanent worship, worship that lasts, is a worship that is based on an experience. Not a moment, not a time, not a worship hour. It's a constant relationship. You see the woman says, verse, verse 15, said to him, sir, give me this water. Now she likes experience. Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty to have to come here to draw water. You see, the woman's daily chore, this going to the well for water every day, reminded her of her pain. But now, but now Jesus, what he's doing is that he's using this pain that this woman felt every day to become an agent of change. And see, what God does is that he uses our pains, he uses our life experience to turn him into worship moments. The problem is that we dwell so much in our pain, in our problems, that we miss God in the middle of our problems. And when we miss God, we miss the opportunity to grow and to change and to actually have a worship experience. Because, see, God can be worshipped not only in the nice things and the nice songs, but he could also be worshipped in the bad moments and the terrible times. So what Jesus is offering this woman is an experience of transformation. You see, because worship is a result of personal experience. Now, you could say, well, this story is about water, right? Well, wrong. In reality, it's about worship. Verse 20. Now the woman turns the conversation in a completely different way. Notice what she says. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Now, this was Mount Gerizim. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where the people are worship. Uh, I told you that historically uh, that, that was not the place, right? Early. But see, what happened was the Samaritans, to accommodate their tradition and that they were not like the Israelites, the Jews, they manipulated history a little bit. And this is in the Bible, by the way. What happened is that they... They wanted to create their own history to prove that they were doing it right. So they tried to justify their traditions by manipulating the scripture. But see, what happened was that, that it was not on that mount, Mount Gerizim, that these events happened. Like they believed that it was there that Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. But see, when we go to Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 4, it tells us that it was on Mount Ebal that that happened. So the Bible corroborates a different story than the Samaritan story. And you see, oftentimes, when we try to justify our ways of worship in the ways that we like, we manipulate even the Scripture. But what Jesus is saying to this woman is, look, 
The issue with you is not about water. The issue with you is about an experience. Your past cannot keep you from the experience that I want to give you. Your past cannot keep you from the experience that I want to give you. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You see, we tend to worship in a way that we learn in the past. We tend to worship in a place that we are comfortable, in a way that we're comfortable with the people that we're comfortable. But Jesus is saying, it's not about comfort. It's, it's not about being, in, about being in one place. It's not about doing what you've always done. What it is about is that you turn your worship into a progress. You see, in Greek, the word, the word to worship is the word proskuneo. Can you say proskuneo? Good. This side is pretty good. This side, I don't know. But this side is pretty good. Now, now, there's another word that, that arises from the same root, and that's the, road, the, the, the word proskunema. Can you say proskunema? Okay, better. Now, let me tell you the difference. One, both of them are worship. But the word used in this text, is, it can also be used as a journey. So this is what Jesus is saying. You see... You grew up in this area. You grew up with this tradition. You grew up with this experience. But let me tell you, this is where your journey begins. This is where your true worship will start. So this is where you are. Let me take you on this journey. On this journey of change. Of this journey of living what you were comfortable with. Living what you were living with. What you grew up with. And turning into the woman that I made you to be. And this is, this is exactly what God is telling each, each one of us. See, we grew accustomed to worship in a way. We grew accustomed to traditions. We grew accustomed to experiences. But what God is saying is that if you remain the way you came into the journey, you have failed. You have to grow. You have to develop. You have to keep moving because experience through worship with me, it's about movement, not about being static and comfortable. Are you with me this morning? So what he's saying, it's time to start moving. You see, this is the way I see it in, in real life. Have you ever gotten up this in the morning, you eat breakfast, you, you take a shower, and you grab your car keys and you said, well, today I'm going to start my car, but I really don't have a place to go. But you're there in your car. Have you ever done that? You've never done it? Of course not, because it's... Idiotic. It's dumb. We would never do that. But see, in worship, that's what we do. Because we don't go anywhere. We remain the same way. We're there in the car, dressed, fed, but we don't go anywhere. And what Jesus is saying to this woman is, see, it's time to get moving. Verse, uh, verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Now, he's taking her mentality away from the Samaritan perspective and historical tradition. And he's moving her to the reality that he is the true Messiah and he is a Jew. That is crazy if you're Samaritan. But see... What Jesus is saying in this text is two things. Worship is an attitude. 
It's an attitude that needs to be developed. That needs to be developed. I told you at the beginning that we come to worship and we will take back home whatever we came looking for. Remember? So worship is an attitude. What am I looking for? See, you cannot come to worship. We cannot come to worship not expecting anything. We have to come to worship with an attitude of what do I need today? What do I need to find? What do I need to experience on my next step? See, that is an attitude of worship. Because that is what God is about to provide to me if I pay attention. So I need a, an attitude of, that needs to be developed into a mentality of change. The second, adi- the second thing that offers in this text is a, a transformation experience. You see, we need to have a mind open in such a way that when we come to worship, when we experience worship, whatever place we experience it, because Jesus is telling this woman that it's not in one place or the other, by the way, that we can worship, worship anywhere. What, what Jesus is telling this woman is that salvation, I mean worship, is an experience of salvation. So what is the thing that I need to change in my life that today as I worship, God is going to open my mind so that my attitude becomes an attitude of redemption. Because see, what he's saying is that worship, the worship that God expects that we, that we think about, that we experience when we come, is in the spirit and in truth. Now you're saying, okay, that's the, right there, but what does that mean? That's cryptic. Well, a little bit. Verse 23. But the hour is coming, he says, and it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father. And let's stop right there. True worshipers. Now let me ask you a question, family. How many of you want to be True worshipers. Okay, four. Good. Now, it says, it says, true worshipers will worship the Father in two things, in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So what Jesus is saying, look, I'm here because the Father sent me. He's looking for people like you. He's looking for people like you, like you who want to worship God fully, who want to have the full experience. Now, let me explain to you what spirit means and what truth means. You see, the Bible tells us that spirit is a connection with God. See, the, the, the nature of God is that he is spirit. God the Father, God the Eternal does not have a body like ours. So the, the nature of God is that he is a spirit. And oftentimes we, we relate to the spiritual things, the things that are out of God, and, and, and the flesh things, the things like pertain to humanity. But see, when we come to worship, we have to understand that our experience with God, that connection with God is what allows us to worship God in spirit. Because we come to have an experience with the one that is spirit. See, worship is designed to guide us to experience God at a personal level. You see, when we come to worship, we have to experience God in three ways to to make it possible. First, intellectual. Worship has to make us think. Was Jesus making this woman think? 
Of course, it has to be intellectual. The, 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 our brain needs to be stimulated. It's not about just the heart. It's also about the brain. So to worship God in spirit, our intellect needs to be stimulated. We need to go home having some thinking. Second, it is an emotional thing. You see, this woman being, went from being alone, from being a lonely person, to now having hope. So as we come to worship and we connect with God, our issues, our troubles, our problems, our, our, our daily life is changed a little because now we have a different perspective of our situation. And I know some of you are praying because you're going like this. Now, the third is that this connection with God is a spiritual connection. Because at the end of the day, the, the desire of God is that we become as spiritual as he is. In fact, Jesus says, uh, the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, we will be just like him because we will see him as what? As he is. So our experience needs to be a process that will become little by little more like Jesus. Now let me tell you this, and you, you can write this down. The desire of God and the design of having a worship experience for us is so that we become more like Jesus. Now, the truth part. Truth means a connection with people. As we worship God, we said that it's designed to make us more like Jesus. You see, Jesus is a epitome. He's the ultimate. He is the highest. He's the highest symbol of truth. In fact, he says, I am the truth. And he said it in a way that we can understand what he was doing on earth. Remember, he said these words as he was walking among men. And what happened was that he said that as you do to this, to these, I'm sorry, you do to me. Jesus said two things about how to follow God's word. To honor God above all things and then your neighbor as yourself. Jesus always spoke on this earth in two planes. The connection with the spiritual and the connection with the humanity. With the human part. Now what happens is that what Jesus is saying is that as we worship in truth is that whatever spiritual experience we have, if we don't translate that experience into our relationship with other people, we failed. Because see, we have this custom, this tradition as Adventists that our religion is very intellectual. We have every text, every verse, we have the Bible study, we have the questions that you should ask, and we have the answers for those questions. But what we forget many times is that the reason why we have this knowledge of God and this understanding is so that we can use it in our relationship with people. Because Jesus says, and in, in when we do that, when we relate to people in that way, in that love, in that experience with humanity, at that level, he says, in this they will know that you are my disciples. So what God is saying here, that our ex experience of worship needs to be in two platforms, in the spiritual platform and in the human platform. If, they don't, if people don't see Jesus, the Jesus that you worship in you, you're not truly worshiping. The way I see it is, is like 
people who go to the gym. Um, believe it or not, there's people who go to the gym, and, uh, and, uh, and, and some people go to the gym for years, for years. See, I've been going, I've been going to the same gym for, for many, many years, and uh, uh, there's people who go there, who've been there for a long time, and, and these people, you see them year after year, and you don't see a single ounce of change. They know everybody at the gym. They know the trainers. They know everybody. They say hi to everybody. But I think what the reason they go to the gym is to talk to other people and to interrupt those who want to actually work out. But uh, maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you are that person. I don't know. But, but see, uh, as, you go there, as you go there, these people, you see them day after day, and they're there. It doesn't matter what time you go. They're there. But you look at them. And they look the same. Jesus didn't talk about the gym. He was talking about a spiritual journey. And he's saying, you see, you could know everybody. You could know everything about it. You could be there all the time. But if there's no change... Then something is missing in that worship. This is how it works, verse 39. So many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Wait, 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 wait. Let's go back. They believed in him because of the woman's testimony. At the beginning of the story, this woman does not have to do, doesn't want to do anything with people. She's avoiding people. But now people are believing in Jesus because of what she's saying. In fact, not only what she's saying, what she's doing, because it was her testimony. So see, what happens with this woman is that she worshiped God in a way that transformed her mentality, her attitude. She created an openness of mind that now she accepted something new and completely foreign to her tradition to move her to something that now was completely redemptive. So when that happens to someone... There's only one result. You are going to go to tell somebody else about it. Did you get the new iPhone? Did you want the new iPhone? Not yet. Maybe next week. Um, but this is what happens. You see, this is what I, let, let me tell you my story. My testimony. I bought the first iPhone that ever came out. And I bought it like three weeks after because they didn't have it in stores. And when I bought it, I loved it. The aluminum case, the big screen. See, I'm a techie guy. I'm sort of a geek. In another life, I was a nerd. And I, and I, I loved the screen, the touch, the apps. Even with the deficiencies of the first version, I loved it. You know, it was different than anything else. When the next iPhone came out. I'm not ashamed to say that I was in line to get it. And I'm not ashamed because Pastor Ben Del Pozo was two people in front of me. <laughs> and uh, so we were in line together without knowing. We almost had a Bible study there, but we were waiting. But, but as we were there, we were, we were uh, waiting for the phone. And when the phone came out and we had it in our hands, there was nothing better. It was the coolest thing that we've ever had. 
After that, I never made line again. Because now you could order it online. Uh, but this is what happened. If you had talked to me when the first iPhone came out, when the third iPhone came out, when the fifth iPhone came out, I would have told you there's nothing better than this. That was my experience. And in fact, I talk to people oftentimes, after I gave them all the things that you could do with that thing, people would tell me, do you work for Apple? I don't, but now that you mentioned, I should get commission on all the iPhones that I've sold. Because, see, that is what happens. When you experience something new and it, it fills your expectations, it talks to you, to your needs and likes and, and tickles where you are, need to be scratched. Whatever that means. You're going to share it with other people. It's like when you get a, a, a car, a new car. It doesn't matter how new or how old it is. You got a new car, you sh hey, look, this is my car. You have pictures of the car. You show the keys. Because you're excited about it. You see, and this is the excitement that this woman was feeling. Her life, she got, didn't, got, didn't get the new iPhone. She got a new life. So now the only thing that was preventing her from becoming the woman that she wanted to do, to be, was to share that experience with others. So she goes and shares the experience. Imagine the passion that she was sharing this experience with that people was looking at her. She didn't look the same. Remember, she was sad. She was lonely. She wanted to be alone and never identified. She went to the well in the middle of the day when it was hot and nobody was there. Now she's talking to people. Hey, do you know Jesus? Now her face is different. There's a glow about her. So now the people believe. So now the Samaritans come to Jesus. Because see, once you experience Jesus, once you experience Jesus, you don't want to leave. And it says, verse 40, So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Jesus was called by the Samaritans. Remember, he was a Jew. The Samaritans are looking for Jesus. Are you the Jesus that she's talking about? Uh, yeah. How can I help you? We have questions. And he stayed there two days answering their questions. When he left, Samaria was transformed. See, I think that life and worship with God works like this. It's like a lab. And you know in the lab is when the inventions occur. You know in the lab is where, where minds get together and try to solve problems. And they come up with ideas. And they try, they test those ideas. And, and the inventions come up. But see, the only way that the greatest inventions in the world could actually be useful in real life is when those inventions go out on the world. When they're tried. When they're tested by people. When they're used. Because, see, the greatest invention in the world in the lab is worthless. 
It needs to be out where the people is. It needs to be used. It needs to be out in the world. You see, family, we have the greatest thing on earth. We have the greatest thing in the universe. And that is that we get to develop a personal experience with the God of the universe, with the God of heaven. But if he doesn't leave these walls, we fail. Worship is not to be limited by walls, by a place. Worship is to be practiced every day, everywhere. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is what people see in us. Not necessarily what they hear from us. Worship is a lifestyle. A lifestyle that allows Jesus to be the number one so that we can grow and become like him. Because we can only become what our number one is. So my prayer today is that we can become like Jesus. And as Wayne will sing this morning for us, we worship you. We are many in Christ, diverse in gifts. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. One faith, one hope, one God, one church, for which he died. One song, one voice, we lift him up in praise. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. In faith, we unite together to worship 
our Father. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. One faith, one hope, one God, one church for which He died. One song, one voice, we lift Him up in praise we worship him in spirit and in truth if you believe this will you sing this with me we worship him in spirit and in truth last time we worship him in spirit and in truth